The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Everybody and welcome back to We've Got Mail. This is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at Critically Acclaimed. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic and everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I too am a critic. And uh, for the purposes of this particular podcast, you may write in and call me Rockmeister McCool. Hey, I'm trying to remember. Did you do this to yourself? I did. I did it to okay, myself. Okay, so really... You have only so one person to blame. I want you to call me because I left it in the podcast. <laughs> I could have cut it out. I have editing so when power. You, when you write in, I call me Rockmeister McCool, and <laughs> now it's kind of stuck, and I'm a little embarrassed with myself. It's okay. It's fun though. It's not that. It's not that embarrassing. I suppose not. Yeah. But this is the podcast where we get letters from you, our dear listeners. Uh, we answer our letters. We address your concerns. We answer your questions. We uh, address any criticisms you might have of us, uh, anything we might have overlooked in a podcast, any bad take we might have had in a podcast. <laughs> we'll we'll take it. Yeah, we uh, we give recommendations. We talk about stuff in the industry. We'll, uh, really anything at all, really. Mm-hmm. So uh, we don't like to do a long introduction. We'll just say right off the bat, if you haven't written in yet and you really want to, the email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, We don't have time to read all our letters, but we sure as heck try. So let's just jump right in. All right. Here is a letter from Jacob. Hi, Jacob. Hi, Jacob. Uh, Hello, Whitney and Bibbs from Grand Forks, North Dakota. Grand Forks. Mm. Not the ordinary kind. Big ol' forks. (laughs) Like, you know that scene in the Muppet movie where there's a fork in the road and there's just this giant fork? That's that's all they got there. That's what they make. That's what they assume. If, they got to make them somewhere. If I go there and I get ordinary flatware, I'm calling bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> We're kidding, of course. I'm sure it's a perfectly wonderful normal town. <laughs> North uh, Grand Forks is, I'm sure, wonderful. Okay. Uh, I've uh, Jacob says, I've already said this before, but I'm a huge fan of all your podcasts. Oh, thank you. They get me through my long days of driving that I do for my job. That can be a grind. I'm glad mm-hmm. we can be there for you. Uh, I think I listen to just about all you do. You two have become my driving buddies. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, don't forget to check uh, hands at 10 and 2. And don't forget <laughs> to check your blind spots. Yeah. Can, can I have one of these mini bags of Cheetos? <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> therefore, I've come to value both of your opinions. So I have a question I would like to ask you, as all the other listeners have as well. As you guys are, I'm a big fan of ho- the horror anthology genre of oh, television. Yeah. My favorite of all time is Tales from the Crypt. Good man. Good choice. Uh, I I somewhat grew up with that show. I remember it being on super late at night on HBO and it would sneak out secretly and watch it after everybody has gone to bed. This is a common experience. Yeah, I, I did that a lot when I was a kid. Uh, that opening theme and the uh, opening theme song and the scene scared the hell out of me. When the crypt keeper would pop up, I would hide. <laughs> and then I'd settle in for this uh, for the scary. That's wonderful. So that is one of my favorites for sure. However, I also have a soft spot uh, for it for I'm a huge fan of old EC comics from the 50s on which the show is based. I also really liked Tales from the Dark Side and, of course, The Twilight Zone. I just got Monsters. And so far I'm on it, but I prefer Tales from the Dark Side. Uh, Do you ever see Monsters? I never don't think – 
I mean, I might have. It's possible that I caught mm. an episode and didn't realize what I was watching. Oh, I have yeah. these memories in my head of these, like, clips of horror things hmm. that I've never... Like, I saw, like, when I was a kid and I wasn't supposed to and I didn't track down what it was. Like, I saw one thing in, like, the late 80s, maybe early 90s, and I got the end of it on TV, where it was some guy who was, like, a computer programmer and, like, he had been making, like sex robots but then they like took him apart or something for oh, like weird. robot okay. pieces and i have no idea what the hell that was i've never <laughs> been able to figure that out uh, if anyone has any ideas i'd love to hear it but i don't I remember no that idea. from monsters and we've seen perversions of science so it wasn't that mm, but yeah no no definitely not perversions of science mm. if you missed it that's actually one of the first shows we ever covered on canceled too soon the podcast where we review tv shows that lasted one season or less there was a spinoff of Tales from the Crypt, same producers, same yeah. vibe, that was all sci-fi. And mm-hmm. mostly horror-related, a few that were a bit more comedic, yeah, um, but uh, mostly in the horror-y vein. And uh, there were some really good episodes of that. A couple, yeah. couple of duds, but like mostly really, really good. Uh, my, my favorite premise from Perversions of Science was the uh, War of the Worlds episode. That's a great one. Where uh, two guys are listening to Orson Welles' War of the Worlds broadcast, and they think that there's really aliens, and they say, Oh, shoot! Our people are invading. Like, they're actually, mar- like, Martian agents who are hiding out waiting for word, and they thought that was the thing to draw them out. So they immediately, like, kill they all They start killing their all friends. the humans. It's like, yay, finally, we get to do all of this. And yeah, there's a really good twist ending uh, yeah, to that I one. I don't want to really tell, fun, say what the yeah, twist yeah, ending yeah. is, but it, it, it makes it even cleverer. Uh, let's see. I uh, just got to Monsters. I prefer Dark Side. I know... About other thrillers such as Night Gallery, Thriller, Chillers, mm-hmm. uh, Hammer House of Horror, and I'm seriously looking at bootlegging a copy of Freddy's Nightmares because I think it Ooh. is an automatic must-have. But I I'm don't looking... remember that one very well. It's, I couldn't tell actually, you. That. It's not a good show, actually. No, well, it, it's, sure it's been a long time since I've seen it. Though, I'm sure it's so. noteworthy enough yeah. to be worthwhile. Uh, Freddy's Nightmares was a horror anthology show hosted by Freddy Krueger. Mm-hmm. It's the, the Nightmare on Elm Street TV series. Uh, but I'm looking forward to recommendations on some other ones that I may want to add to my collection. So I pose a question for you, as well as to the listeners. What are your favorite horror anthology shows, and what should I look into add to my collection? What should I avoid? Thanks in advance, and I can't wait to hear your thoughts. Keep on entertaining us. We all need it right now, your avid listener, Jacob. Well, thanks nice. for writing in, Jacob. Thank you very, very much. Um, this isn't quite an anthology show, because there actually is connective tissue and re- uh, regular characters, Yeah, but it played like an anthology show, because the main character of each episode was new every week, and that was Friday the 13th, the series. Mm, yeah, uh, that's, that's a fun one. Friday it's the got th- the same vibe. Yeah, Friday the 13th, the series, the, the connective tissue was... Uh, an antique store had a bunch of cursed objects in it. They were all haunted. And uh, they were scattered to the four winds at some point, and now it was up to the three owners of the the antique shop to get them back. And every episode started with a close-up of one of the antiques, one of the cursed antiques, mm-hmm. and the person who got it, and what happened to them. And then the main characters would show up, like, in and out throughout the episode, showing yeah. that they're investigating. But it was usually about the person and how they use that curse. Yeah, object. they were extremely standalone for the most part. And, uh, and there were some good. Yeah. Ep- there were episodes like directed by David Cronenberg, and oh, yeah. I think Adam McGoyan did um, one or two. They're uh, it, so, as you can tell, they shot it in Canada. Uh, yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a pretty Canadian show. Yeah. Uh, the formula was pretty identical throughout, but somehow it always intrigued you. 
person finds cursed object, person has deep desire for something. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's really obvious. Sometimes it's kind of bizarre, kind of esoteric desires. But the de- device they find can grant that wish, mm-hmm. provided they pr- they give the object a blood sacrifice. That's usually that's, the shtick. That was the shtick However, just about every episode. That's, that's v- there's enough like. Like, uh, there's enough, like, empty holes on that premise that you could make that interesting over and over and over again. Because mm-hmm. it's it's so pure. It's such yeah. a campfire story. It's very it's, effective. Some of them were a little bizarre. I remember yeah. one, uh, the protagonist really, really wanted to be a werewolf. He's oh. just obsessed with werewolves. and he had, well, like, he wouldn't. He had, like, a wolf paw and would, like, scratch himself with it in the moonlight, hoping it would make him into a werewolf. Yeah, they're cool. Work, uh, until he found a, an old 16-millimeter film camera. Or no, maybe it was an 8mm film camera. It was this little tiny handheld film camera. Mm-hmm. And he would look through the viewfinder and he would see himself murdering a friend. And if he reenacted the scene that the camera showed him, it would turn him like a little more into a werewolf. I think if he killed That's a little people, belabored. Yeah, it's, it's a little bizarre. Well, because he was like obsessed with werewolf mm-hmm. movies and the 1941 film The Wolfman played heavily into it. Yeah. Um, one of the ones that I like that we discovered on Cancelled Too Soon, which if you listen to our shows, you might be already be familiar with, but I do highly recommend it, was Hammer House of Horror. Oh, he, he mentioned that. He did that? Yeah, did I miss that? Yeah. Okay, well, Hammer House of Horror is really, really good. Never mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I, did he mention Masters of Horror? Uh... Look, 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 I don't yeah, think he did. You listed a lot that we've actually cover, either covered on the show uh-huh. or um, like have mentioned at least yeah. a couple times. Yeah, uh, Thriller, Chillers, uh, Hammer House of Horror, Night Gallery. Okay, well then I, you didn't mention Masters of Horror. I think it's mm-hmm. sometimes a little overlooked, even though it was kind of a big deal when it first came out. Uh, Masters of Horror was a Showtime anthology series with a very simple premise. Let's get some of the most iconic horror filmmakers who are still alive. Give them a very low budget, but carte blanche to do whatever they want with it. Mm. And as a result, we got some very interesting hit and miss, but sometimes very good, uh, basically mini movies hmm. from the likes of John Carpenter. Uh, I think Takeshi Miike did one. Dario Argento did one. Stuart Gordon did a couple. Uh, Joe Dante did. I actually think one of the best things Joe Dante has ever done. Hmm. He did a, uh, an episode called Homecoming which was uh, made during the uh, George W. Bush administration. And it was all about how uh, they were basically sending soldiers off to die in a war that was started over a lie. And then they were basically just saying, oh, what a noble sacrifice. Yes, I'm sure all of these soldiers would have voted for George Bush. And uh, that basically sets off like this curse in which all of the dead soldiers come back from the war and mm-hmm. vote Democrat. <laughs> so the Republicans are find themselves like at war with their own soldiers. Mm. Very pointed, but very funny and very good. Um, so that's a that's a good one. I think people don't talk about very often. There's one I've been meaning to get to that I've heard really good things about called Dark Room, which mm-hmm. I've been wanting to do and cancel too soon for a while. Uh, we actually had some requests for it. I, it's my understanding; yeah. it's quite good, but yeah, I haven't I'm actually not, checked I'm not that one out. That one either. Yeah, uh, yeah. You mentioned apart from perversions of science and Friday the Thirteenth, I think you mentioned all of like the biggies. Yeah, but there's always more to find. Mm. Um, you didn't mention Are You Afraid of the Dark? That's a show that's obviously for kids, but it holds mm. up pretty good. It's it's my experience. It's better than the Goosebumps TV show. Yeah, I, I saw neither. So, yeah. I and of course, if you're interested in horror anthology shows, you should also watch horror anthology movies in which case if you haven't fully explored the depths of amicus uh-huh. you really should uh-huh. amicus was a uh, uh tales from the crypt yeah uh, amicus was a competitor uh of hammer 
uh, whereas Hammer was mostly focusing on these sort of lavish and sensualized um, adaptations of classic vampire stories and the like. Well, Universal movies, let's be honest. Yeah, let's be fair. But uh, they, they had their own spin. Mm. Uh, Amicus mostly did horror anthologies with all-star British casts, and a lot of them are really, really fun. So that's definitely something you should look into if yeah, the, you think you've seen all the shows. Yeah, the, the original Tales from the Crypt is really, really great, especially um, the the Santa Claus story. From, oh, from, from the first. I don't know if I'd Crypt. say especially. They're all good though. Yeah. Like they're it's a it, it's a complete it's a banger from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's arguably if I had to pick the best horror anthology movie, it would probably yeah. be my number one. That or Dead of Night, but like mm-hmm. it, it's really really good. Um, so anyway, hopefully that, and please, uh, send us more recommendations if there's anything that, uh, maybe something newer or maybe something overseas that perhaps that we've missed. Uh, I know that there's a ton of old ones. You want to look at like The Veil, uh, which is now available on home video. That's mm-hmm. one. Um, I, we, I have a fair number of old, uh, radio anthology horror shows oh, heck that yeah. are on like a pod, uh, they're on an iPod in, mm-hmm. uh, in my car. Um, and I just put it on random and every once in a while I just get this wonderful show about like a murder club where it's just like, yes, every day, every month we get together and we play cards and whoever wins will be murdered by someone who ends <laughs> in the game. And it's all these just fun, wonderful, ghoulish little premises. And yeah, there's always wonderful. ironic comeuppance. And so, yeah, also look into those. A lot of those are available. So a lot of them are free is my understanding yeah, because they're just the rights are kind go, of go, go to Radio Spirits online and Radio oh, okay. Spirits has like hundreds and hundreds of hours of just old-timey radio shows from the 1940s. Yeah, and a lot of those shows, there were lots of bit like The Whistler. There was a lot of big hit shows that were just like, you know, crime stories and horror mm-hmm. stories, and they're just a hoot. And some of them are really good, and some of them are really bad, but they're mm-hmm. also fun. Well, uh, one of my favorite horror anthology... I forgot what show it was. I think it was... Um... I think it was Suspense, mm. exclamation point. Suspense! Uh, but Orson Welles did a guest spot on Suspense uh, in doing a radio version of Donovan's Brain. Okay. But a guy who had a brain in his lab, and like the brain turned out to, like, turned out to be psychic and was taking over his brain, or maybe mm. just... Anyway. That old but, story. That old story. Uh, they made it into a movie as well, Donovan's Brain. There you go. Um, anyway, I hope that gives you something to go on. But yeah, please uh, tweet us. Let us know. Uh, leave a comment on the uh, Patreon page for this uh, episode if you want to uh, join in and recommend any horror anthologies. They don't all have to be one season wonders. We don't have to cover them. Sometimes we're just looking for fun stuff to watch. Yeah. Indeed. Right. Well, let's move on. Uh, anyway, here is a letter from Arthur. Hi, Arthur. Uh, Dear Bibbs and Whitney, love your podcasts. Uh, just in case you wanted to have more nightmares, there really are a few species of spiders that spit venom mixed in with silk. Damn it. <laughs> this is about Spider-Woman, isn't it? This is about it? venom blasts, yeah. Okay, we saw the animated series Spider-Woman on Cancel Too Soon, and Spider-Woman has a lot of uh, superpowers that are kind of like... Is that a spider thing? And one of the things she does is shoot energy blasts from her hands, you know? Mm-hmm. Like spiders. And apparently there's kind of something to it. So they just... Is that it? Is that the whole email? Mm. Uh, or are they no, go into more detail? There's a little more. No, okay. the, uh, he changes the topic. Uh, okay. Another topic. I don't know if you ever saw Heaven's Gate. 
I couldn't tell from the critically acclaimed podcast when he reviewed The Deer Hunter, but it is an amazing movie. When I saw it in 2017 at a revival screening, it was eerily prescient. Poor immigrant farmers trying to fend off a death squad being hunted by a big business beef trust. It has all the excesses of Deer Hunter in terms of ordinary life scenes that drag on too long, but it has even more ambition and is incredibly dense visually. It works better in a theater than it probably would at home, and you definitely need an intermission. It also has some great work by Christopher Walken. Uh... Well, I actually I, haven't I, seen him. Yeah, I think we mentioned that we hadn't seen Heaven's Gate. No, um, I haven't seen Heaven's Gate. But I never uh, had. I never had yeah. the whole week. Also, thank you to the shout out for best years of our lives. I think it may be Greg Tolan's best work as cinematographer. You're, you might be right. Um, um, I, I I I like hearing about Heaven's Gate and other grossly maligned films and learning that they're kind of okay. Uh, Heaven's mm-hmm. Gate had, throughout my entire life had this horrible reputation as being like this horrendous bomb that just was not worth watching. Yeah. It was a horrendous bomb, mind you, but it might still be worth watching. And I think this brings up something that I, we've mentioned on the podcast before. When a film's budget balloons to a certain level, mm-hmm. there's an people, added yeah. level of scrutiny. There's an added level level of scrutiny, and if it turns out to be just sort of average, that's almost worse than if it were bad. Yeah, uh, I feel that like, is at least like well, they tried. Like, but like, uh, yeah. like the, the movie Waterworld is a good example. Yeah. Waterworld at the time was uh, came out in the mid '90s. It was mm. the most expensive production to date at the time, and it's it's a post-apocalypse it's mad max it's, on water it's, but it's kind corny, of a generic yeah. mad max it's not a bad mad max but it's just kind of there it's, it's, it's like, got good design it's but not it's, a, a it's, particularly interesting it's story. three stars if we're being generous yeah, it's, it's no it's, it's know, just like, a, a fine three-star movie but that is almost a curse for something like Waterworld. Mm-hmm. if they're going to spend that much money it either has to be you know amazing like titanic mm-hmm. or complete fiasco like cats the point is it needs to be in order to justify the budget it needs to be like a happening it needs to be like an event of right, some kind. Right. You have to see this. Either be even something like Cats, which lost money, but people will remember Cats, and Cats mm. will probably persist and still be watched just because it was it was such a fiasco. But uh, yeah, Waterworld, eh. mm. and Heaven's Gate is one of those ones. When I again, I haven't seen it, mm. but when it came out, it wasn't amazing enough to people at the time. That it made its money back or it got a bunch of Oscar nominations and it sort of justified the effort that went into it. And people dogpiled on it and its budget made it a punchline basically until Waterworld came out. Mm. Like, until Waterworld came out, when people joked about, like, an expensive movie, Heaven's Gate was the tagline. There's even Mm. a gag about it in Cop Rock. (laughs) Yep. They were, like, uh, uh, the the end of the series. Cop Rock was this... uh, police procedural slash musical mm. uh, television series and uh, in the last episode when they broke the fourth wall and sang a song about how they were cancelled and there's a lyric in there about how they cost as much as Heaven's Gate <laughs> um, so and I think we've seen this happen in our lifetimes like when uh, John Carter came out mm. and John Carter is it's okay like it's it's a you know it's, it's hard for it not to seem a little unoriginal after so many movies and stories have ripped it off everything from Star Wars to Superman, uh, but as a movie in and of itself it is a very entertaining sci-fi adventure. There's a lot in there for everybody. Mm. Not maybe as good as the classics of the genre, but a good time. But because it cost mm. a ton, people were sort of taking glee 
in the idea that this was going to be a big box office bomb. Like, we all know this is going to be a huge bomb, right? And I don't know a lot of people who actually hate that movie. The people who I hear talk about that movie most virulently are people who mostly haven't seen it. Like, most of the people I know who've seen that movie either like it okay, and in some cases love it. I like it okay. I like I, it. Yeah, I, I used to love yeah. it. It's gone a little bit, but there's a lot. Of, it's a good movie. I like it. Yeah. The, the ironically, the the worst thing in John Carter is John Carter. Yeah. He's like the least interesting character. We don't need to see it through his eyes. Just show me the science fiction world. Yeah, I know. I, I don't need this Civil War era soldier on Mars. Just Taylor just, Kitsch was not a thing. Just just make just yeah. call it Deja Thoris the movie, and we're I know. Good. God, Deja <laughs> Thoris is she's the best part. Was yeah. it Lynn Collins? Lynn Collins. Lynn Collins is amazing a, in that. But that movie should have made Lynn Collins a superstar. Yeah, but, that is a star making performance. But because it was John Carter, nobody noticed. That's a yeah, damn shame. Yeah. Uh, here is a letter from Tom. Ah, Tom. It's Tom T O M. All capital letters with an exclamation point. Okay. Hi, uh, Tom. Hello, Bibbs and Mr. McCool. Hello. Hi. Uh, I recently watched one of my favorite films, Almost Famous. Hey. I've loved this movie ever since I was a teen. At the time, I was a huge fan of the type of rock music. I love the era, the atmosphere, and the soundtrack. still love it today, but I have picked it. But I have picked up on its intentions and more subtle messages. I no longer like it because it has cool music. After watching it, I had a thought. What the hell happened to Cameron Crowe? <laughs> <laughs> when I was younger, he was one of my favorite writers and directors. Say Anything, Jerry Maguire, Almost Famous, and to a certain extent, Vanilla Sky are all classics of my time. Mm-hmm. After being referenced or parodied even to this day, showing how much of an impact they've had on popular culture. So where did he go wrong? His career trajectory since those films has not been great, and it just baffles me how a director slash writer with such specific intent early in his career can just fizzle out and make bad films like We Bought a Zoo, perfectly fine if not forgettable film, and Aloha. Let's not speak of that. <laughs> I'll, uh, I, I would I would argue Elizabeth Town, but you know, we'll, uh, you know that, what? That, that I, one's on the fence. For that's like people. the one Cameron Crowe movie I've watched it, but I feel I think it was like distracted at the time. Like I had it on TV, but I was like doing homework, oh, okay. or something like in college when that came out. It was actually it was a little bit afterwards, but whatever. I was distracted at the time, so I've seen it, but I don't remember okay. it very well. Um, uh, is this a case of Cameron Crowe selling out? Which hmm. is not to say he wasn't making big, broad films before this, yet his older films certainly had more style, nuance, and a sense of authorship. His newer films certainly do not resemble any of his earlier work, as Zoo and Aloha look like they could have been directed by any work-for-hire director within this genre. Yeah, Aloha's so bad. Aloha's quite bad, yeah. Also are, also, are there any directors you think have changed for the worse over time? This could be styles, genre techniques, mm. uh, taking on projects outside of their wheelhouse or changing their themes. I often find this to be true when smaller indie directors get called up and start making big-budget big blockbusters like Josh Trank, for example. Mm-hmm. Although I cannot knock them as these are lucrative jobs that will no doubt help them financially and oftentimes sustain their longevity within the industry, I, although it does pain me to see, I will never argue against a director selling out per se. All the best, Tom. Uh, Cameron Crowe is an interesting uh, director. If you're not super familiar with his work, because it's been a while since he's made a, you know, I think it's it's almost famous since he's made a truly noteworthy film, like where everyone was talking about it. Uh, Cameron Crowe was a young writer for Rolling Stone who got into screenwriting uh, and uh, wrote uh, the teen classic Fast Times at Ridgemont High and would go on to make his directorial debut with the teen romance classic Say Anything, Mm. and went on to do Jerry Maguire and a lot of other films that were very well written, Mm. uh, very, very uh, uh, earnestly directed. Singles. Singles is another good one. Singles is one of the defining films of the 90s. I think that's fair to say. And he, he wrote people of that era 
in a very believable way. And there was mm-hmm. a, his films were noteworthy for a lot of their great character work. And every once in a while, within all of that great character work, he would pull out just one amazing moment mm-hmm. or scene. Say Anything has a few. Jerry Maguire has a bunch. I like that movie a lot. Elizabethtown has a lot of great scenes and nothing in between them. I know, it's weird. Uh, uh, Almost Famous is an interesting uh, uh, film for me because I auditioned for that film. <laughs> I've told this story before, but uh, they were looking the Patrick for... Patrick Fugit role, right? Yeah, Patrick Fugit uh, starred in that movie, and they were looking for unknown actors they were looking for someone to just sort of embody the role and so they were looking for people in a certain age range who looked maybe a little bit like cameron crowe because that's movie that movie is semi-autobiographical uh and i fit the bill at the time i was still in high school when they were making it and i got a call back but i didn't get the role obviously um and a different uh, life if you did very different life i wonder about that sometimes but uh it's fine mm-hmm. uh and the movie came out great it's a great movie uh, hard to deny it. Very well made. I like, I like it a lot. Yep. Won like Academy Award for Best Original uh, Original Screenplay. Good for him. Uh, but, uh, yeah, since then, his movies haven't really connected. And I feel like, and again, this is all speculation. When we look at an entire, like, artist's career mm-hmm. and you see what looks like a downward spiral. And sometimes we look back and say, oh, we were too harsh. They were making interesting work. It just mm-hmm. wasn't as noteworthy or as popular as some of their other stuff. But sometimes people just have more to say at certain times in their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you're young and like you're really passionate and angry and you make like really powerful statements and you take a lot of chances and then you kind of mellow out. Yeah. Which is a very natural part of life. You just kind of mellow. I mean, it doesn't mean you don't care about stuff, but you're just like you're, not as furious. Well, you your, know? your interests change. You, yeah. you change as a person. And so you, so you Cameron, Cameron Crowe started making these more like family friendly things. Yeah. Like, you know, We Bought a Zoo. You're right. It's a perfectly decent movie. Like, it's not a bad movie. Mm. It People turn it into a joke because it's got a silly title. Hmm. It's fine. Like it's a. I would totally watch that with like any audience, and we'd all have a decent enough time watching it. And then we'd probably promptly forget about it because it's not amazing. Aloha is a big swing. You can tell he's got like a lot of stuff on his mind, and I've I've heard some stories about how maybe that got re-edited, but I can't imagine there being a good version of that. It's Mm -hmm. really misguided from the top to bottom. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I just sometimes you just get the sense that a filmmaker. Ran out of things to say. Ran out of things to say. There's no longer just feeling as creative. Um, it's okay. Listen, if you want to sell out, go ahead and sell out, man. Like we, it's fine. <laughs> like we need people yeah. to just make the 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 everyday stuff sometimes. Well, it's, but it's, it's frustrating when you see someone who had a lot to say who seems to have run out of some stuff to say. Uh, and uh, it, I wouldn't say like when those uh, like. It, the people who are just sort of rising, people like Josh Trank, you mentioned, but this is true of a lot of like powerful indie directors mm-hmm. who kind of explode under the scene with one really notable, very good, mm-hmm. uh, in, in, or maybe one or two indie dramas. And then they're immediately snatched up by the star Wars machine or yeah. the, the Marvel machines. Like, Oh, well you directed Satsi. How'd you like to do a where a Wolverine movie? It's mm-hmm. like, that, those are not nothing alike. Yeah. It just seems kind of randomly mm-hmm. placed. And of course that Wolverine movie didn't turn out very good. I and mean, who can say if it's the director's fault yeah. or just the studio, but Hmm. Uh, but I, I feel that's, you know, the same way about a, a lot of those Marvel movies, mm-hmm. a lot of the directors, they ask, it's like, Oh, they, they did this really interesting work with these little tiny indie films. Mm-hmm. And now they're doing these gigantic multi-billion dollar blockbusters and I sense no authorship in those whatsoever. There's an ex- I think Taika Waititi made Thor Ragnarok his own. A little bit more his own. Yeah. He put himself yeah. in it. I think that helped. I and think it helped. I think everything like 
I've, I've said this before, like anything that involving like Thor's personal story at the beginning of the end mm-hmm. is that's all the studio stuff. I think Ryan Coogler made Black Panther unlike mm-hmm. any other Marvel movie. Oh yeah. That's, no other that, Marvel that's movie did fair. what he did. Um, so it can be done. Yeah. I also seen indie filmmakers who, you know, explode onto the scene with their first work. And then we realized that they, that was kind of what they had to say. Like you look at someone like Ed Burns, who, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. who had a big hit in the mid-90s with a movie called The Brothers McMullen. That was his directorial debut. It was very low budget, made with just people he knew. And that movie is, I mean, it's not amazing, but it's well made. It's mm. a relationship drama about a bunch of different brothers and their relationships with the women and their lives. And it's not bad. Mm. It's not bad. I, I would watch it again. But then you realize that, like, all the other movies that he's making, like, She's the One, just kind of are the same thing yeah, over and yeah. over again. They're, again, they're not even badly made. They're just, like... Is that that's it? That's what nothing new to say here. Which is fine, but Um, I'm just I'm I'm if I'm not if that's not really my jam, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put it on toast. I a lot of people are fond of Jerry Maguire. I would actually include that in part of the downward slide of Cameron Crowe. Oh, really? Uh, Because it's told it's a story of a, a rich guy who has to sort of rework his life to fight against the corporate. I don't know what corporation hurt Cameron Crowe, but like <laughs> fighting against a corporation is a common theme in a lot of his movies. And I feel like that one just doesn't have the same kind of focus mm. as his other movies. It does seem to it's kind like of half in, about that and just half about like, yeah. And then part of this awkward is this, relationships, yeah, this, this yeah. relationship and the relationship evolves to take over the movie, but it, you can clearly well, kind of, you can clearly see that he's not really sure how this is going to conclude. I'm kind of fascinated by that one because uh. he, he really inverts our expectations of the romance genre in which the movie ends with them getting married. Mm-hmm. Here they get married way too soon. Yeah. And it's not until they've been married for a while that they realize they might actually be good together. Yeah. And, and I, I think and I that's think... an interesting way that he sort of plays with the genre. So I, I like it from a genre perspective. Yeah, I, I suppose so. But I think uh, Jerry himself is not an interesting enough character to carry movie and i think tom cruise didn't infuse jerry with like a lot of personality or suffering he's just sort of i think it's part of the problem that he has is that he realizes that he's sold out so soon that he never really developed like, those like things he J- never developed yeah. the kind of personality you could have a meaningful relationship with somebody and I, it takes a lot of effort for him to get to become that yeah but he never stops being tom cruise is my point well that's true for every uh, tom cruise I, I, movie, yeah i, suppose, I, I but, think uh, I, jay moore plays the rival in that movie i would love to see like to have seen jay moore play jerry Maguire. Yeah. i think he would have done a lot better job with it uh but yeah i, I think he just he did have a lot to say when he was younger and then he said it mm-hmm. about uh, being young and about being in romantic situations. And I think once he grew up to a certain age uh, and explored his, the entirety of his youth, he had nothing to say. He wanted to say about adulthood. I mean, uh, so that's, he, that's that, that of course he is tried speculation, to, yeah, but it's the vibe we get that this, this is my critical interpretation as a yeah. critic. Uh, I get the same vibe from Kevin Smith. He ran out of things to say, so he's just making movies with his kids now. I mean, he's basically said that. Like, I interviewed him, and he's just like, look, man, I'm just having fun. Yeah, he, that's, yeah. You're totally you're right. Knock yourself I, I out. Think, like, it's fine. Uh, watch Clerks 2. I know Clerks 2 gets a bum rap, but I think it's actually quite a good movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's really well written, and I think it has a lot to say about the importance of... Uh, your own comfort, even though other might others people might see that as stagnation. I actually really uh, like Jersey Girl. I think Jersey Girl is not a bad film. I, I, there's like a longer sort of John Hughes riff, yeah, there. which is not in and of itself a bad thing. It's actually a very sweet, uh, a kind movie about mm-hmm. a guy who 
He's got the love of his life. She gets pregnant and then she dies. And now he has to raise a little girl all by himself. And he has to give up the career he wanted in order to become a dad. And just sort of realizing that his life has shifted and getting comfortable with all of that change. And that's Mm -hmm. something that's actually a little universal. And I think Kevin Smith plays it that way. It's actually not as like wacky or witty as a lot of his work. It's just kind of down to earth and sincere. Mm. I heard there's a longer cut of that. That's even better that has been screened a few times, oh. but I've never seen it. I've only seen the theatrical cut, but the actual mm. cut's good. Yeah. I, I like it. Like, it's not a bad movie yeah, no. at all. It's I, one of his best, I think. And to, to briefly address your, uh, your other question about directors who have sort of taken a turn like partway mm. through their career and just never recovered Coppola. Uh, <laughs> i was gonna say argento well uh, yeah. definitely actually you know what you're right <laughs> coppola, coppola went went down and then he made like you know rainmaker and then he went down again yeah, and, argento and, just went down yeah <laughs> from somewhere around the late 80s he just, just did just he lost it and just never got it back and i mean I, I, sometimes I, there's an issue where you know budgets shift and you can no longer do yeah. the kind of stuff you were good at or wanted to do or you can't do it in a way that makes it look good anymore like Dario Argento was a very cinematic filmmaker and if you give him a very low budget and a digital camera it doesn't matter what he wants to do it's just not going to look like an Argento film anymore no, no. Um, but you still get the impression that somewhere around 89 or so he just kind of lost his major passion for it. And somewhere around the mid nineties, he seems to have given up altogether yeah, and just started just making slot. Yeah. Like yeah. By the time he got to Phantom of the Opera, it's like, oh, that oh, movie's God, terrible. No. That movie's no, terrible. No, no, no. Like yeah. it's not even like, it's not even like terrible for Argento, like early Argento where like, this is terrible, but it's kind of so amazing that mm-hmm. I don't even mind that it's terrible. Like you're watching Phantom of the Opera directed by Dario Argento. And you're just like, Oh, <laughs> is this a low budget episode of an anthology series that got canceled after six episodes? Mm. And this is why. No, this is a whole movie. This is this it? is this was the movie. This Shit. was his vision. Yeah, Dario Argento. You're right. Dario Argento yeah. is definitely the 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 kind of the bellwether for that. He's the yeah. go to example of directors who lost it and never seemed to get it back. I mean, he's still alive. I guess he could still work again, but like. Mm. I, I doubt it. I think he's yeah, I, he's he's said what he had to say. And he made so many fascinating movies. He's his his like legacy is secure so long as you don't watch anything he made after like nineteen ninety. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Just stop at a certain point. There's probably one or two movies in the nineties that I'm forgetting, but basically that's the cutoff. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, he even he even did a second sequel to Suspiria late in his career. Oh, I couldn't Mo- even get through it. Mother of Tears. I couldn't even get through it. Yeah. I was really excited because I actually think Inferno is a little bit better than Suspiria. But mm. uh, yeah, Mother of Tears is not good. I'm trying to think of all the other filmmakers that just sort of turned off after a mm. while. Uh, so I was really fascinated for, uh, when I discovered Repo Man like at age thirty. First of all, I was pissed off at myself for waiting that long on yeah. Repo Man. Uh, but I, I decided to go through the works of Alex Cox. What else has this guy had? Oh, Sid and Nancy. That's also great. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Walker is also quite good. Yeah. Uh, he – and then he continued – like he took a time off because Hollywood just treated him so badly. And also he's such a, a punker and a cynic. He's just like, fuck you. I don't want to play by any of your rules. I want to do yeah. my thing. And he deliberately made a lot of enemies. Uh, one of the uh, – one of the extras on the Criterion DVD for Walker was uh, Alex Cox 
pulling out some old reviews, like really negative reviews of the film and just sort of reading them by the fireplace. He's not actually throwing them in the fire, but you can tell that's what he wants to do. Mm. And uh, I saw his, uh, the the sequel he made to Repo Man, Repo Chick, which is just terrible. Yeah, you told me about that. And, uh, but he was doing some interesting work in there. I did see a film he did called The Revenger's Tragedy, which is based on an Elizabethan revenge drama, like a Senecan revenge drama, which oh, were yeah. hip at the time. This is, uh, if you, the more you know about Seneca and Revenge tragedies as a trend in Elizabethan English drama, the more you come to appreciate Hamlet and how it kind of sends up and uh, makes self-reflexive a lot of those cliches that are in Seneca and Revenge tragedies. He just did a revenge tragedy mm. with the ancient language, and it, it, I think it's really, really good. Um, but it doesn't look or feel like a typical Alex Cox movie. But nobody knows about that movie. Uh, people lost interest in Alex Cox, and yeah, it, it was one of those things where he didn't have the budget or the freedom to work in the the way that he wanted to. So he, even if he was making good work, people just weren't paying attention anymore. Yeah, but yeah, I I, I, I agree with you on Coppola. Coppola's uh, just took a turn for the worse. Mm-hmm. Some people, uh, some filmmakers work for so long they have a few cycles like that. I remember yeah. when people were saying that. The Coen Brothers were just out because they made like three bad movies in a row. They done in, the, the they two the, the, the two that were in, they were like because like the man who wasn't there. Some people defend that movie. Some people didn't like it. It was kind of divisive. But the one-two punch of Intolerable Cruelty, which is really bad, mm. and the Lady Killers, which is mostly really bad. Mm. J.K. Simmons is the only watchable thing in that movie. Really, well, I think Tom, I think Tom, Tom Hanks, Hanks is having well, fun, yeah. but like. It's we, just, we, it's just we, not, we must have waffles forthwith. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of fun to see Tom Hanks playing like the Colonel Sanders as a movie villain. Like that's kind of funny. <laughs> you know, but just the idea of that mm-hmm. is funny, and they kind of coast on it. But yeah, that one-two punch back to back. I remember thinking to myself, "Man, I'm gonna give them one more chance," and then they're just not in my good graces anymore. Yeah, I remember thinking yeah. like, that the, if their next movie sucks, I'll, like I'm just not gonna give up on them entirely, but I'm not gonna run out to see it in theaters. And their next movie was No Country for All Men. So, like, they were back, and it was fine. Sometimes filmmakers go through a bit of a lull, and that's natural. Tim Burton's gone through several, and then sometimes he comes back with big eyes or big fish or something, and you're like, oh, Mm. Tim Burton is back. (laughs) I love that guy. I I like his Frank and Weenie. Frank and Weenie's great. And you and I are both on record for liking Dark Shadows. Dark Shadows is underrated. Mm. Underrated. Not his best work, but it's very, very fun. I need to rewatch Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Maybe I'll have changed on that one. <laughs> uh, there's, there's good bits. Uh, no, I, only, bits. I only saw it once and remember really disliking it. I think, I think it, it. I think the problem, I the biggest problem I have with that movie, other than just, I don't know, some of the design aesthetics are just mm. off-putting. But um, they have kind of the same problem that the book has, which is that once we're in the Chocolate Factory, Charlie is nothing. Yeah, and w- that's Willy, Willy Wonka's the main character. Yeah, and I think that's yeah. something Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory actually kind of fixed, where you realize that Charlie almost had an ironic fate, just like all of the other kids, and he managed to survive it. So he mm-hmm. actually, it doesn't feel like he's being left out of the movie. He had a chapter in Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory with the fizzy lifting drinks. Mm. So that actually worked. So like I thought that helped keep him alive and then took kind of made the whole story work a little better okay. than even the book did. Okay. Anyway, that's my turn. Um, anyway, let's move on. Well, here's a letter from Will. Hi, Will. Hi, Will. Uh, greetings, Bibbs, and Rockmeister McCool. Uh, McCool is spelled uh, two O's with slashes through them. Nice. Uh, I have a two-part question. Brace for impact. 
Uh, I recently rewatched Billy Wilder's classic, Some Like It Hot, and despite concern, its brilliant writing and wonderful characters made me fall in love with the movie once again. In reading more about the production, I came across a surprising bit of trivia. Apparently, the final line, spoiler alert, uh... (laughs) <laughs> should, should I even say what it is? Uh, uh, I think it's, was, I think it's pretty famous. But. Yeah, it's, uh, nobody's perfect. Yeah, outside of context, context you don't yeah. know what that means. Inside yeah. of context, it's a it's right. a wonderful line. Well, nobody's perfect. Uh, yeah. It was sort of a last minute addition and not precisely planned. I always viewed the line as a beautiful and eloquent summing up of the themes of the film, how we perceive and accept relationships. However, Billy Wilder claims that the line was only a placeholder until he and co-writer IAL Diamonds could quote come up with something better, which they never did. Yeah. Now that I know that the line's origin how, and how spontaneous it was, it has me wondering, would you give a film less credit knowing something, someone you perceived as explicitly planned or was, was in fact mere coincidence or happenstance? Also, do you believe that all films about men and women in drag can still be produced or have those, sim- those stories simply run their course? Thanks, Will. Um, to answer your second question first, those films can absolutely <coughs> still be produced. There are still people who perform mm. in drag, people who do dress in... Mm. in uh, all kinds of clothing. Like, it's actually, you know, we've all seen RuPaul, RuPaul's Drag Race. Like, I'm, you can I'm make a movie. To, I'm fine. trying to think of the last, like, screwball comedy I saw, though, which was about uh, men dressing as women or vice versa the, in, in order specifically to, like, hoodwink somebody. And that's the, that's the one where mm. it's just sort of just like, it's, I think we need to rethink the way we do that kind of comedy. Mm. And it can't just be for, like, prurience or it can't be for, like, shame. Oh, mm. the shame of it. I have to dress as a woman. No, we, we. I think we're past that, and if we're going to do stories about, we we need to actually have it be about that. So, yeah. um, okay. regarding uh, last movie I can think of that did that was Sorority Boys. Oh, that was forever ago. Yeah, and that was like well, that, that was, there was, like there was years ago. There was point. like another sequel to Big Mama's House that I think came out after that. Oh yeah, yeah, that was probably the last one I can think. Of. And of course, Tyler Perry's been doing it for a while, but oh, it's not really true. it's not really a comment on that because he's just playing a female character. Mm. Um. To answer your first question, though, when you talk about how, oh, I found out that this thing wasn't entirely planned, uh, and does that uh, maybe lessen the film in our eyes? Uh, Not for me. Mm. Um, For a couple of reasons. The specific instance you have is actually maybe not the best example of that, because they did write that line. Mm. They just thought maybe we'll come up with something better, and they never did, and it turns out it was perfect. So Mm. sometimes you don't know what you have. Uh, But secondly, putting something into a movie is never entirely an accident because you have the option not to. You can always edit it out. You can always edit it out. You can always change it and post it in the case of someone like Billy Wilder. I'm sure if he wanted to, he could have done a reshoot. Like, every decision you make on a movie and every decision you don't make on a movie is, on some level, intentional because you choose to leave it in. Hmm. You don't say, like, oh, it's important what color the car is. Sometimes it's not. I don't care. Just put it in there. And if someone says, oh, it's fascinating that the car was red. Hmm, yeah, that really that really served like the sort of the visual leitmotif of the film. And you weren't planning that at all. But it, you put it in there, so you get take credit for that decision. Um, I think we put a lot of emphasis on this like auteur theory that everything is like someone's brilliant idea. Mm. And sometimes there are happy accidents. And sometimes there are placeholder things. And sometimes there are... Uh, like weird strokes of fate, like at the end of The Last Temptation of Christ, uh, where the camera actually like broke and film stock got exposed in the middle of the last shot of the movie. Mm-hmm. And Scorsese thought, it's a sign, I'm leaving it in. And it's a brilliant ending. <laughs> it's, completely, <laughs> it's completely fascinating. And it's just, mm-hmm. it just absolutely works. But that was an accident. 
But Scorsese chose to leave it in. He could have cut it before that. So you got to give people credit for everything Mm. that they do. And you also got to give them criticism for everything that they do when it's warranted. So um, the ending of Something Like It Hot, that's their ending. They They left that brilliant ending in. Good for them. Yeah, Phil, the idea that uh, everything in a film needs to be planned out ahead of time is is just horse hockey. Uh, yeah, there, there are very few people who do that, and there's always something yeah, that happens, and, even if they do. Yeah, and and while you're making a film, uh, you you decided to cast a certain actor. Casting is a big important is an important part of directing. Mm-hmm. Uh, b- but if you have an actor who's really open and really kind of is delving into the character in a way that you wouldn't as the director, mm-hmm. they can bring something new to the character that you didn't necessarily plan. Uh, Star Wars mm-hmm. is a world that was very carefully created by George Lucas, and he wanted C-3PO to be, quite famously, like a fast-talking used car salesman mm-hmm. kind of guy. And yeah, which, that's not what Anthony Daniels did, and he was open to that, and then a pretty classic character. Now, what... Would that uh, fast-talking car salesman type of character have worked at Star Wars? Probably. Yeah, maybe. Uh, there's, no there's, I think it wouldn't have. But. It, it might have been a better film for all we know, but mm-hmm. it's not the version we got, and the version we got still works fine. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the, that very notion, that all two notion you were talking about, uh, is is just it's a fallacy <laughs> there's so so much that happens while you're filming and you know circumstances change so fast while you're filming a film uh what you get is just going to be what you get and whether or not it was improvised or planned from the start uh what matters is if it worked at the end of the day yeah. uh nobody's perfect worked at the end of the day and that was fine uh-huh. uh i i remember a fan th- this is apocryphal but uh there's a line to, to mention it again in hamlet uh, where uh, Polonius goes up to Hamlet and Hamlet's pretending to be crazy and he's holding a book and Polonius says, what read you, my lord? And he says, words, words, words. And uh, just to sort of mock him, oh, what are you reading? I'm reading words. Uh, <laughs> the rumor was Shakespeare wanted to write a speech but used just used a placeholder because he forgot to write the speech and the placeholder was words, words, words. What do you, what do you read? <laughs> words, words, words. Okay, Polonius. <laughs> It's, I wish we knew if that was true. Or not. It's, it's probably not. It's just an amusing story. It's a very amusing idea. Uh-huh. I suspect it's not true, but it's yeah. a very amusing <laughs> idea. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, it happens. Mm. People come up with like, oh, we're just going to call the movie this, and then we'll think of something better later. Later, but then you just get attached to it. Mm. You know, you've been calling the movie that for so long. Calling it anything else suddenly feels weird. No. Yeah, it happens. Uh, here's a letter from, uh, looks like name redacted. Mm. Oh, excuse me, no, uh, Austin. This is a letter from Austin. Uh, if, if you don't sign off your letters, I'm, I'm just going to pr- assume that you don't want us to read your name. Mm. Uh, sign off however you would like me to address you. Uh, anyway, Austin says, hello, I thought it might be fun to ask you about something other than movies. <gasps> what? Well, we know nothing else. Um, what are some of your favorite bands? Ah, okay. <laughs> Any prized possession pr- possessions you might own? Uh, I mostly listen to death metal or, quote, horrible screaming Satan music, as my mom used to put it. Mm. But I have a pretty wide range of genres I enjoy. Thank you. Love, Austin. Um, that's, a, that's a fun question. Mm. Uh, I am famously... Um, Whitney will attest to this. Uh, people, a lot of people say I don't have good taste in music. You've been in my car. <clears throat> Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I have a very I'm not saying anything. I have a very I have a very <laughs> pop heavy, weird, sometimes esoteric taste in music that um, 
A lot of people say that the music I listen to is straight crap, and I'm uh, fine with that. I, I, there's a lot I can tolerate, but after the fifth straight hour of listening to Kesha, I'm just angry. Okay, that was a while ago. I've, I've moved <laughs> it was on. A phase. But like, I, it was a I, strong, I still, long I still maintain phase. your first couple albums are really good and very funny. Hmm. Um, I was recently just talking about like what music would you like to play in your deathbed, and I was just like, fuck it, make it wacky, play the Venga Boys. Like, <laughs> Ask not for whom the Venga bus is coming. There you go. It's like, coming for thee. Like, that would be fun like that's a good way to go out i think yeah. but um uh i but probably my favorite band ever is the talking heads okay and that uh extends to david burns solo career um they're a wonderful band they're a very smart band they write songs about um st- a lot of people write songs about love and how we're always going to be together and this is going to be the best mm-hmm. night and talking heads talk about all kinds of weird shit. And well, they're they're, a, they're a new wave bands, so a lot of yeah. a lot of really poetic lyrics about a lot of poetic lyrics, yeah. a lot of odd storytelling. Um, they're really really fun Dis- band. Uh, suburban dystopia is a big. If, part you, of if that. you want to fall in love with them immediately, see their concert movie. Stop making sense. It's, I think it's probably mm-hmm. the best concert movie ever made. Um, what, what's his first line like? Thanks for coming to my show. I wrote a song no, that goes like, like this. No, no, or, it's, hello got a tape i want to play and the the idea of stop making sense at least the first half of it is it starts off with david byrne the lead singer of the band uh and an acoustic guitar and uh boombox and then every progressive song they add a new member of the band Mm. so that halfway through the show we finally got the whole band on stage and then it gets surreal and weird (laughs) and it's great jonathan demi directed it it's really Mm. wonderful stop making sense is awesome yeah great 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 concert movie even if you don't love the band stop making sense is amazing and you should watch it just Mm. anyway and the soundtrack of course is phenomenal but watching Mm. it you get the whole experience and it's great um well, who's your favorite? If you have a favorite band, a favorite band or or singer, I guess. I, well, I mean, uh, I'm I'm in my 40s now, so you know, I I don't obsess about bands the way I used to. So right. if I'm going to bring up a band that I really really love, it's going to be stuff I listened to in high school. Yeah. Um. I I was as a child, I was weaned on like Weird Al Yankovic and comedy music. Mm-hmm. Um, Same here. That spun off into uh, pseudo novelty bands like They Might Be Giants, which I listened to a lot in junior high. Sam. By the time I got to high school, I was really delving into, like, as as strange as I could get. Like, not necessarily comedy, just odd. It's like, mm. ooh, what? okay, we can listen to these alternative bands, but, you know, I'm not going to go any more mainstream than Primus. <laughs> so, you know, so I owned a bunch of Primus records, but no Nirvana records. Well, Primus is cool. Yeah. Primus sucks. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Primus doesn't suck. Roll with me here, Primus. That, that's what you say when it's a thing. Anyway. Okay, Primus sucks. <laughs> it's, it's a slogan. Primus sucks. Okay. <laughs> I'm embarrassed that I had to explain that to you. <laughs> so I, I really dug Primus. Uh, as I got a little older, I started to skew older real fast. So I was listening to, like, show tunes. And again, mm-hmm. Comedy Records was always playing underneath all of this uh i got into jazz mm. at one point and i really just started going back to like miles davis and coltrane uh and eventually <laughs> about about 10 years ago settled into punk mm. like started to explore like punk and new wave in earnest and started to find some really good gems and how interesting and strange and varied that era was if you're willing to look to the 80s a little bit left left of the dial uh a lot of the you know the '80s hits that you hear referred to, you know, the girls just want to have funs and your Madonnas and U2s and Princes. That's all well and good, 
and uh, there's yeah, also and there's also a lot of like oddball one-hit wonders like Men Without Hats, which is actually a two-hit wonder, but you know we, we, no, nobody remembers Pop Goes the World. Uh, <laughs> but no one does. No, it was a hit. It was, I, defy, it, I defy you. Hum a few bars. I'll be very impressed if you can hum a few bars. I, I'm, you know, I imagine there are a lot of people listening right there, right now, who can sing right, Pop Goes the I'll World. Be, and I'll be impressed by, by Men Without Hats. I'm easily impressed. Uh, I love a lot of but, people uh, who are considered one-hit wonders, but right. actually had a lot of great music. Mm. Like Proclaimers are considered a one-hit wonder in the United States. Proclaimers, fucking awesome. If, if you're if you're in Scotland, yeah, no, they were huge. Yeah. They were huge over there, but in America, people only know 500 Miles, which is an amazing good song. Like, I love that song. That's seriously a great uh, here's, song. Here, here's something kind of fun. Uh, at the New Beverly Cinema, uh, the boss, Quentin Tarantino, made a mixtape for mm. us to play before the midnight shows of his own movies. Yeah. And it was mostly songs made famous from movies in the 1990s. Uh, including a lot of songs from his own movies. He sure. had like some, something from Four Rooms. That Girl, uh, You'll Be a Woman Girl, Soon. Girl, You'll Be a Woman yeah. Soon, which I want to murder that song. <laughs> Fuck Urge Overkill. I don't ever want to hear that song again. Uh, it was overplayed at the time. It, it was over, it's, and it's overplayed in my brain, and I hear it every week, and I want it to die. <laughs> and it's a gross song, too. Oh, God. Yeah. But it also had like um, uh, that Leonard Cohen song from the beginning of Natural Born Killers. Mm. Uh, and, and one of the songs was 500 Miles, which got famous in America because it was included on the soundtrack to a movie called Benny and June. Mm. Uh, I just like the thought of Quentin Tarantino lying on his stomach on his bedroom floor in front of a boombox, kind of bopping his head to I'm going to be. <laughs> <laughs> It's just an amusing thought to me. But seriously, I've never heard like a bad Proclaimers album. Like they're all okay. fun and they're really, really good. Uh, actually, yeah, they, my favorite band that I've gotten into lately hasn't made an album in decades uh, is Dexy's Midnight Runners. Oh, there you go. Which is another one that is very, very much, especially in the United States, a one-hit wonder. They did the song "Come on Eileen," which is one of the catchiest songs ever written. I love that song. Uh, but all of their albums are these like amazing. Like rambling, drunken showcases of wonderful music and great experience, and I love all of it. And uh, I guess the only other band I've gotten into like super lately is uh, Mother Mother, uh, which I've listened mm -hmm. to a lot lately because mm -hmm. my partner Michelle is into them, and uh, they're fucking great too. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of like newer bands. I got into a Melda May for a second because I'm I'm mm -hmm. also. In getting into punk, that sort of steered me right to like almost directly into rockabilly. Yeah, and because you know you listen to fifties rockabilly, that's punk. That's punk rock music. It is, it's, yeah. it's all like messy and fast. It's about being a juvenile delinquent, and it's all very earnest. And you know, it's a lot of it's really angry as well. And it's even like some brazenly sexual songs from the nineteen fifties. That you know, if you thought the fifties was a clean time, boy, howdy, were you wrong? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, a lot of punk and a lot of rockabilly. I think the Holy Trinity on my pot on my iPod right now is they might be giants Oingo Boingo and Devo. Those are sort of well, Devo uh, rocks, and so does Oingo uh, Boingo, and so mm. they might be giants. So you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. But again, as, as you can see, these are kind of like a these little are nerdy bands, ner odd and nerdy bands. So yeah. that 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 was sort of the center of what I was listening to a lot as a young man, and that's sort of come with me into my adulthood yeah i don't know i don't even remember what i was listening to in high school just whatever was on mtv like i just had bad taste in music. <laughs> whatever you put on i guess i like it i don't know like it took me a while to find my own proper musical tastes and they got weird and eclectic so yeah. all of my friends were busy listening to melancholy and the infinite sadness by yeah. the smashing pumpkins yeah and, listen to that and uh i and because i'm a, a, a 
white suburban young boy in the little late nineties, of course I listened to Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, also you gonna learn voodoo. But but I didn't listen to ska. I'm not a total asshole. <laughs> hey, Saint Ferris was good. <laughs> did I just prove my point? I think I probably did. Anyway, uh, we got time for one more letter. I think. Okay. Well, let me let me look one up. Um, yeah, I, I could go on and on about sort of the things I collected and music, et cetera. Yeah, et cetera. and of course our tastes change mm-hmm. over time, and there are bands that I used to listen to that now I kind of roll my eyes at just because they weren't that good but <laughs> then again there's a bunch of stuff that I know is cheesy and not very mm. good and I still like it damn it but I find myself more often than not just listening to like esoteric soundtracks like they put out an amazing reissue of the Popeye soundtrack <laughs> where uh, if you've never seen Robert Altman's Popeye yeah. first off it's really underrated and secondly uh, the music is by Harry Nilsson and so it's mm. kind of weird and folksy and mm. honestly kind of amelodic sometimes that's in a way that's really fun. So, so gentle you want to kill someone. Yeah, it's <laughs> exactly. It's, it's totally my thing. <laughs> but there's an old, there's a second disc to it or another part of the album if you listen to it like Spotify or whatever that is all his demos. And so you get to hear Harry Nilsson sing all those, not just mm. like Robin Williams try. Yeah. And my favorite one, though, is uh, him teaching Shelley Duvall how to sing the song He Needs Me, which, if you're not mm-hmm. familiar with the movie, Paul Thomas Anderson would later use it in Punch Drunk Love. Um, and it's him teaching her just how to sing it in different ways to sing it because it's kind of a repetitive song in mm-hmm. some ways. And it is the most charming thing ever. It's so sweet and kind and fun. And it goes on for like seven minutes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll just put it on a loop for an hour because it's so good. <laughs> oh, there's a PS to this letter. Oh, yeah. Um, Austin also wrote in... Uh, we were talking about in Metropolis, there's this really unnerving scene where Maria, the robot version of Maria, winks right at the camera by only moving her eyelid yeah. and no other part of her face. And he says, I forgot to mention, I can blink with one eye and also without moving anything but my eyelid. Impressive. The talent he has. Very impressive. But, uh, uh, but only with my left eye. Yeah, I, I'm... It's a weird thing I've I'm, always been able to do. I'm more dexterous mm-hmm. with one eye than I am with the other. Mm-hmm. Like, I can lift... I can lift my left eyebrow more efficiently than I can lift my right. I, I, I had to train myself to do that, to raise yeah. one eyebrow. I but I think I only it. got good at it with one of them. Okay. And uh, here's something I can do. This is going to be thrilling for podcast listeners. Oh, you can like bend I, your I, I can, your I can bend the, the smallest can, joint in my finger. I can do that for all of my fingers at once, yeah. and it usually freaks people out when I do it. <laughs> it looks like your fingers are broken. Yeah, it looks weird. That, that's what it, <laughs> now we're doing like third grade I, tricks. I, I, well, I'm, I'm, I, 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 I wiggle my ears. I'm mildly double jointed, mm. like okay. I, which is actually kind of it's actually not a great condition because they're actually kind of more prone to injury sometimes. Mm. So um, I got to be careful with that. But mm. I'm, I'm a little double jointed. So yeah, here's a letter from Cecil, uh, Hi Bibs and Rockmeister. After leaving social media internets, I found that my tastes have changed. Okay. All right. Uh, while I watched the DCEU and Star Wars, I didn't really like most of them. Mm-hmm. I did like the first Star Wars movie, and it's a fun, campy movie, and I liked Wonder Woman, uh, though I thought Captain America was better. Even with movies like the MCU, which I was a fan of, uh, which I was a fan of, now that I'm by myself and all my friends don't care about movies, I find myself being drawn to more introspective movies. I like weird gay movies that are independent. Well, my favorite subgenre is anime where a teen feels a lot of pressure and matures due to magic. <laughs> <laughs> the Girl Who Leapt Through Time. Classic. <laughs> if you haven't seen uh, it, it's a classic. I also love movies with anthro characters. Anthro characters. Anthropomorphic. Uh, without feeling the need to have an opinion on movies I don't finish, movies I'm not liking, and in my, my main thing is just watching movies when I want to, and if there's a giant movie everyone loves but I don't think looks interesting, I'll probably just watch The Cat Returns for the tenth time. There you go. Cecil. Um... Film Twitter 
isn't a real thing, you know? Um, film Twitter is just a, a vague, amorphous way of referring to the people who go on Twitter to predominantly talk about movies, which yeah. we're a part of because we're film critics. So if we're going to be on some on a social media platform like Twitter, probably going to mention movies a lot. So yeah. I guess we're part of Film Twitter now. We, we kind of are. You don't it's, sign up for it. It's, no, not, it's re- not sectioned off into something. I remember the first time someone told me it was part of Film Twitter. I'm like, I graduated? What did I do? Yeah, well, is, um, is that something in Twitter? But I th- what I, actually, it's interesting. Like, I, everyone's still while I'll look at like uh, uh, my wife and partner Michelle's uh, Twitter feed when she like shows me something on her phone and I realize she's not following any of the people I'm following or at least almost none of them okay and she's got this entirely different universe that she lives in with like people who do different kinds of art and I'm in this weird world where everyone's still mad about Batman v Superman or something and I'm like (laughs) there's whole universes that I'm completely shut to because I'm following so many people who are talking about the same things and that's not to say that the people I follow aren't fascinating and don't also talk about fascinating things but you know when you are part of the same group of voices who are who follow the same news stories and it becomes a bit of an echo chamber and it can be a little limiting after a while if yeah. you're not actively seeking out other thoughts, voices, influences, well, I think a inspiration. Lot of, a lot of people are using Twitter the way they used to use just sort of a classroom, uh, just sort mm. of to get a gauge as to what people are talking about. And uh, it's it's become the ultimate water cooler to gather around, this big Twitter thing. And uh, as such, I think people tend to mention maybe more often the big popular movies. Mm-hmm. Because that's, uh, first of all, those are the ones everybody's seeing. And yeah. it's it's a way of kind of organizing popular culture that was uh, smeared around a little bit by the inception of the internet. That's, because of that, uh, you go on Twitter, and if you're following film Twitter, you get the impression that there's only a couple, a couple of movies worth talking about. And that tends to be like the big blockbusters. And as such, you start to feel this weary obligation to be up on it. You don't necessarily, and I'm, Cecil, I'm glad you found this out, that you don't like those movies, really. Yeah. But I, I'm There's this, finding, It's kind of like I was saying, like, yeah. when you're, like, a big movie and you kind of have to be a happening. Yeah. You kind of have to be this thing everybody's talking about if you're going to be a major success if we spent that but much now, money but on But now it. the audience is feeling that same pressure. Well, they have to be part of the conversation, too. Exactly. And sometimes you're actually genuinely interested in seeing a movie, and sometimes you feel like you're getting dragged to it just because, like, God damn it, I have to know what the fuck everyone's talking about. Yeah. I Everyone keeps talking about, I don't know, La La Land. Fine, I'll see La La Land. and. <laughs> You know, everyone's talking about what they like about it, and your friends are talking about what they like about it, and it's not so much that you're getting swayed, although you certainly can. Mm. It's that you feel a need to accept it into your life, because apparently it's here now, and you have to deal with it, and you might as well find some way to be at peace with that. Mm. And... The older you get, and this is different, a little different for us because we still have to watch everything. We don't have a lot of leeway to, like, not see stuff. Yeah. Um... But if I wasn't a film critic, no, if I wasn't a film critic, I'd still watch everything. <laughs> I'm a bad example here, but what I do find is that my tastes have evolved, and I am way less excited about the kinds of movies that I used to get excited about. And the kinds of movies mm. I used to get excited about were the ones that people talked about the most. And if I'm being honest, one of the reasons I got excited about them, especially if it wasn't something I had an earnest interest in, mm. was because this is going to be the culture now. We're all going to live in the post- Jurassic Park 3 universe. So we all better get on board with this thing, right? Yeah. And it's like, no. 
it's okay to say you're just not interested. It's okay. It's okay to just tap out of something. Mm -hmm. Like if you are like, not that you are necessarily, but like if you're just done with the MCU and you just, you're fine. You don't have to keep watching it. You can stop. These things won't stop unless people stop watching them. And if people feel obligated to see them, even if they don't like them, that's not a good thing. Well, I'm I'm curious though, uh, in, in light of this, of Cecil's letter, how things are going to change now that we don't really have those mono myths floating through the culture every once in a while, these big marketing exercises. Well, this year it's uh, been this, interesting. This, yeah. yeah, it's been it, because the theaters are all closed down. One summer blockbuster season was torpedoed entirely. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to see movies for at least another year. Uh, well, we'll see movies, and they're, I mean, and they're starting th- to experiment theaters, with yeah. new ways to put out those big blockbusters so that they can make their money back. Mm. Mulan is going to come to Disney Plus at an added premium price, for mm. example, and I'm sure when that comes out in like three or four weeks or whenever it is, people will be talking about it a lot because people mm. do want to see it. Yeah. You know, and and, 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 and that's kind of suck. Actually, everybody says it's too expensive. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna pay. A lot of people uh, are gonna pay for it. They're yeah. gonna make money back on it. But here's here's the thing that like we're, we don't talk about actually was that this summer was actually supposed to be a real game changer because a lot of well, movies they, were they supposed, all are aren't no they? Yeah. no. No, it, it, no, in a different way. Okay, because this was a year in which there were going to be a lot of major motion pictures, like blockbuster type films, mm. that were directed by women, yeah. and we didn't get those theatrical releases, mm. and that sucks. This could have been a real game changer for the industry, and this actually could have completely uh, uh, changed the direction of everything. And the direction got changed, but by no one's like intention, mm. yeah. and it might end up killing movies in theaters to some degree. And before a lot of people had an opportunity to have a voice in that blockbuster scale of the industry, that sucks. Mm. So we can talk about how, like, on some level, it's kind of cool that, like, we're living in this world where blockbusters aren't driving the conversation. And on some level, it is. It's nice when, like, the movie everybody's talking about for a week is, like... I don't know, Palm Springs, which is like a little indie comedy starring Andy Samberg, which was really good and probably would have been mostly overlooked in any other summer season. But there is a downside to it. There are a lot of blockbusters that are good. We can all admit to that. And that part does suck. But um, we should be able to find the ones that we want and not feel like we have to follow this cycle. And Mm. I think the one good thing we can get out of this is that we realize that the cycle is optional. Yeah, and um, we if we aren't interested well, and, in something, we can just not talk about it. And well, that's okay. I'm, I'm wondering though if audiences are are doing that on mass right now. Mm. Are, are people delving deeply into their own bizarro interests uh, a little bit more personally and a little bit more passionately than they would have otterwise? Mm-hmm. If there's no you know Reddit thread to post about you know the latest MCU details. What are those people doing? You know, I've noticed that a lot of the the news cycles are still trying to like ring news stories out of the the few blockbusters that we heard about. Like, here's mm. some more details about Black Widow. <laughs> Fun. Let's just yeah. wait to see Black Widow now, okay? We don't need yeah. to have more de- like headlines along the way to get us into a froth. Now we just have to wait. It will be interesting to see how many people realize they mm. can live without them. Yeah. And, yeah. and and listen, I enjoy them too. I wanted to see Black Widow. I wanted to see mm. all of these movies, but. I can. I'm also fine with waiting a year because there's plenty of entertainment out mm. there. There's plenty of movies that are coming out that are very entertaining, and I hope that people are taking this opportunity mm. to explore different types of movies that they might not otherwise have seen or to appreciate 
that you know you can live your life without being constantly deluged with the same type of content over and over again which let's be honest here is a lot yeah. of the yeah. entertainment media where it's like a new marvel movie is coming out guess we got to rank them again and every site has to do that and you realize that I don't need most of this. I really don't. How, how, I really fucking don't. Do, do I need to talk about like the vague virtues that you know one of the Thor movies might have had? And listen, I like talking about that stuff sometimes. I'm sometimes, on lists. sometimes, I, sometimes it's really, really fun. But once like, when they come out, maybe yeah, when they come out every once in a while, yeah. if you're passionate about, it, if you have a new take on something you want to share, that's really, really great. But it's deafening how mm. much of it we have to listen to and how much interesting art and film has to take a back seat to that. Mm. And now there's not a lot of competition and all of those films that otherwise would be ignored. I, you know, one of the most talked about films I've seen on film Twitter mm. in the last week was a horror film called She Dies Tomorrow. We just reviewed it on Critically Acclaimed, directed by Amy Simons. It's great. It's a really great independent horror movie that, you know, gave me the willies. <laughs> and that's not just because that's my name. Uh, and... It's I again, I doubt it would have ever trended mm. if we'd had the blockbusters that were supposed to come out this week. Yeah, you know? Like I don't think it would have been mm. a thing. Same with an American pickle. Yeah. People were talking about American pickle. It's not that great a film, but people were talking about it. Yeah. It, it was originally slated to have a, a theatrical release, but it would just sort of come and go, and no one would talk about it if we're no open, really it opening really, alongside something like it would have been like Widow. a week when we were all looking at interviews with Seth Rogen or whatever. But it really, which we had anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I think more to the point though, like putting this year aside, I think there comes a point in everyone's life when you realize that you don't have to do all the stuff you felt like you had to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to, like, go out and get drunk because it's Friday night! Like, you don't have to do that. You can do whatever the hell you want. You can go inside and, and I don't know, make ships in bottles or read. Like, you, you can do anything you want. You're, you're, you're talking about turning 30. I am. Uh, <laughs> no, I am. There comes a point yeah. when you just get, and it doesn't have to be specifically 30, but there comes a point it's, in it's your life when you realize it's often around that time. But, like, you can just do whatever you want. You can follow your own interests. You were probably, like, guided into whatever your interests are based on, like, who you were raised, like, who you were raised with or by. And then eventually you realize that there's a whole world of stuff out there and, you might only kind of like the stuff that you think you really like, mm. and you have this freedom now to go exploring. Explore all the weird stuff that you are just going to enjoy for yourself. Or, or not even uh, weird. Maybe it's really mainstream, but it's a different thing. Like, oh, what if I just really like dramas? Mm. What if I just really get into human drama mm. and not explosions all the time? Maybe I'm just there in my life and I've grown up a bit, and uh, the, the, that connects to me more than like this kind of shallow, glitzy entertainment. Mm. That, that's cool, too. Yeah, I, I, I remember going... I forgot what the circumstances were. I think this was something I was doing for Geekscape back in the day, but I was on a podcast, and uh, I, I had... Re- I was like maybe 31. I had recently turned 30, and uh, somebody else was about my age was on the podcast, and before we were recording, they were just saying, okay, and here's some of the mov- new movies coming out, and uh, they just sort of like slumped in their chair and just said... I, I don't know how many more mythologies I can fit in my head. Yeah. And and I said, welcome to 30. And like in, in <laughs> like in unison, four other people said, yeah. yeah. It's like, so you just, eventually I think you just might reach the age. Yeah. Typically around 30, but that it could be yeah. as late as 50. Who's and to say? And again, and uh, you could stay equally interested for forever. Mm-hmm. Whitney is still super into Star Trek. 
Yeah. You never gave up that one. Although like, I, you, never, you never lost interest. Well, I, I never lost interest in old Star Trek. <laughs> the new stuff is the, pushing the, you away the, a little the, bit. But the, the, new, the new stuff is crap, man. Well, fair enough. But so you're still bad. watching it, aren't I mean, you? Uh, yeah, they, they got you. Me, watch Lower Decks. You yeah. watch like that first episode. So like, it's mm-hmm. a thing. So we all have our interests. We all have the stuff we like, and sometimes the stuff we like is really, really popular. But don't. I guess my point is, don't take for granted that the stuff you like, or the stuff, the only stuff you like, or even the stuff you like best, mm-hmm. is the stuff that's popular. Yeah. All right. That that's the stuff you, that gets the most exposure. The stuff that you have the most access to. But it's only when you sort of start moving outside of whatever bubble you grew up in. And you could have grown up in a family that only watches indie films. Mm. And all of a sudden you're watching the blockbusters. I'm like, this stuff is neat. Like, everyone's got their bubble. Mm. Some bubbles are bigger than others. But, like, once yeah, you... That once happened you, to a, friend, a yeah. friend of mine. He grew up, like, as, as a you know, hateful punk rocker. He was, mm-hmm. like, an, into Henry Rollins. And he was in a band. And yeah. he only watched, like, really fringy movies. And then, you know, eventually he turned 45 and got married and... Thought, you know what? I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to watch a Transformers movie because a mindless film about giant robots wailing on each other is just as pure as anything. Yeah. So there's an argument to be made there. Yeah, the, the, I, the, the I, I grew up. Happen. I grew up. I had a much older brother, and he was really into metal. And I thought I was into metal because that's what we listened to in this house. Mm. And it wasn't until he left that I realized, no, I like bubblegum crap. <laughs> like, I really like bubblegum crap, you guys. Like, a lot. Um, I think I, Spice I Girls, I thought, were great. Again. Okay? I, I'm just saying. So, um, yeah. So, again, just don't take for granted. Always explore other stuff. And never forget that you're constantly evolving. And what you like now might not be what you like in 10 years. Or But this is a wonderful, this is a wonderful time. Yeah. Wow. With the, with the noise machine turned up for audiences. There, there's uh, a silver I'm, lining. Let's put it that way. Well, you know what? I'm not in the industry, all right? I'm, I'm an adjunct to the hmm. industry. I'm a critic. So uh, I just meant the pandemic. Oh, well, the, pan, the, the pandemic is horrible. That's my point. I'm, like, I'm we, talking about... All things considered... You know, the, the studios are losing out on a lot of money, and theaters are losing out on a lot of money, and the, the multiplex is going to die 100%. Yeah. A lot of people got laid off at of Warner Brothers this week. That sucks. Yeah, that's uh, so a lot of people are losing their jobs. But what is good about this is that this has turned the noise machine down. And I think this is going to allow audiences to find their their own pure tastes a little bit more mm. clearly. Um Given that the options people have at home, this is the ideal time for that to happen. Just explore. Go deep. Go go off. Choose something you've never heard of before and no one has ever recommended to you. Yeah. You might love it and it'll be your film. Yeah. And those and, are way more valuable and with people, than being in on a conversation. And with people not trying to drive your attention to all of the latest big blockbusters and mm. stuff, like, yeah, why, why not? You gotta do something. No, (laughs) you would you would have been going to see. I don't know what the hell was supposed to come out in August. There (laughs) was a time when I would have known, but like you know, there. But August still has big stuff once in a while. Like Mm. you know, they'll put out a Marvel movie in August sometimes just because it's an interesting dead space. But uh, yeah, instead of going to see a Marvel movie right now, what were you going to do with that time and money? I don't know. See something different. See something weird. Mm. Listen to weird music. Try it. Anyway, that's it for We've Got Mail. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Especially thank you, everybody, who wrote in. And a very special thank you to all of our patrons at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, without whom none of our content would be possible. Yeah. Really appreciate you. Thank you so much for keeping us going. Uh, If you haven't joined up yet, uh, if you join up now, depending on the tier that you join up on, you get as many as, like, I think... 
probably well over 100 hours of content right now. Yeah, for sure. Probably just through Star Trek stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, between Star Trek and TV movie reviews and not on Disney Plus reviews and Firefly and Oscar stuff and commentary tracks, like, there's a ton of content that's exclusive to our patrons. And we're happy to give it to you. And we're going to be producing more of it all the time, practically every day. So Can I, can I plug my friends. show? Do it. All right. Uh... If you're a $20 patron, you get it for free. Uh, I just completed my latest radio drama. This, this will be the third one that's uh, available on Patreon. Uh, this one is called Determined. It is about a trio of friends who are going through a dead companion's apartment, and they find a mysterious video cassette that, they, that communicates with them, uh, and the drama that ensues. Uh, it's about 38 minutes long. $20 patrons get it for free. Uh, it has a, a wonderful cast of very talented actors, music, sound effects, the whole schmear. Uh, if you're not a $20 patron, you can still buy it from me. I'm on the I'm on the social medias. Yeah. Contact me on Twitter. Contact me on Instagram. Send me a, a, a direct message. I don't mind. It's all open. Just send yeah. me a message. I'm, I'm not offended if you send me a message out of the blue. And uh, yeah, just uh, we can work out something via P- PayPal or Venmo and I can send you an MP3. Yep. Uh, and Whitney's got a couple other radio shows as well, if you're That's new right. to the program. Uh, so, uh, yeah, there's a lot. And all of those shows are available to our $20 patrons, and all of them are available if you just want to track Whitney down uh, like like he was the A-team. But instead of, like, fighting bad guys, they give out radio shows, <laughs> which is a better premise. I'm sure we can all agree If you can that. find them, they'll give you some really interesting radio drawings. Yeah, it's really nice, actually. They're very creative. Um, so that's, yeah, so that's that. And, of course, if you want to write into We've Got Mail, the email address is letters at critically acclaimed dot net. And, uh, you know, write in whenever you want, because our standing rule, and we've run into it a couple of times, uh, is if you email us while we're recording the show, we have to read your email. That's right. That's our rule. We've, we've done it a couple of times now. It's pretty great. Mm. And uh, they've all been good letters. Uh, so, uh, so yeah. And, of course, we are on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And uh, we hope you're all staying safe and sane. Uh, been, again, it's been a real crazy year. We're grateful to have you here with us. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll be back with more, uh, <laughs> a lot more podcasts. <laughs> this is what we do now. This is my life. It's that in the schmodown. That's uh-huh. pretty much it. Oh, I've got a I've got a schmodown live show this week. I almost forgot to plug that. Like oh. I, I'm doing <laughs> I'm doing a live showdown event uh, Friday, uh-huh. uh, which is I don't know August 14th, I think. 14th, yes. 15th, the, this month, yeah, yeah the 14th. Month, yeah. Friday, August 14th at 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, me and my uh, schmodown team partner Brendan Meyer are going to be playing Final Exam. Uh, which is a team comprised of former singles champion Paul Oyama and Lon Harris, who is not only a very funny and knowledgeable competitor, but also my former co-worker at a DVD store. So this is going to be a real blast. Uh, and, of course, there's another uh, big match for the singles title championship between uh, Dan Merle and Ethan Irwin. Mm. Uh, if you've never watched the show, it's really fun. It is wrestling combined with movie trivia. It's mostly movie trivia, but uh, there's a lot of smack talk and a lot of character work, and it's a real entertaining time, and I love doing it. So you can check that out. I think it's a pay-per-view special, but uh, eventually it will also be up uh, for free. Sweet. Thank you. Okay, so, yeah, okay, we did the Twitter, we did the email, we did the Patreon, we did the Schmodown, and we love you all, and we hope you're staying safe and sane, and bye! Sincerely. Sincerely, here's Benson Waiting.